Sometimes the things you can't explain make the strongest impression. I am Brad Rose. Welcome to the Seltzer Salon presented by Foxy Digitalis. How's everybody doing today? Hope you're well. Hope it's been a good week wherever you are. Uh, we're melting here, continuing to melt. Um, hopefully that will change soon, but you know, it's just, this is the world we live in. It's probably going to keep getting worse, but hey, on to better things. I am excited that this episode, my guest is Christopher Willis, who's an artist, composer, musician based in Canada. And he honestly wasn't on my radar till recently, which is my own shortcoming and my I, I'm glad that he is now but he he put out a couple months ago a project called Resonance Gathering which is it's an incredible project it's hard for me to explain it I'm gonna let him explain it more in the interview but it's a double LP with a 64 page book um and it's it's got a flexi disc too and it's this it's started is this performance of a Pauline Oliveros piece that is called uh, to Valerie Solanas and Marilyn Monroe in recognition of their desperation. And it grew into some more of it. it was this public performance they did of it. And then uh, Oliveros's partner, Ione, contributed this really incredible like sound art poetry piece. And it's remarkable. It's a remarkable thing. And, and, I've, and I've got a physical copy of it. And the, just the presentation of it is absolutely beautiful, like silk screened vinyl um, outer cover. Then like the book is incredible. Like all of it is just, it is so well done. And it, there's so much thought behind every aspect of it. And, and sonically, musically, it's really, it's something I've returned to quite a bit since I heard it and have just, I've enjoyed listening. And, and as I talk to him and learn more about it, it just even opened it up more for me. So um, I'm, I'm really excited to share this. If you if you haven't heard anything off of this project, I highly recommend checking it out. Links in the show notes. And thanks to Chris for doing this. We recorded this about a month ago and I hope you enjoy. Okay, my guest today is Christopher Willis, who has a new, new-ish, I guess it's been out for about a month now, project. Uh, it's called Resonance Gathering, and it is, well, I'll let you really explain it, because it's, <laughs> I feel like I don't know that I can explain it really in a great way. But anyway, uh, Christopher, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it's going good. So, Thanks okay, for, me, yeah. for for those of us uh, that may not be familiar, like, Explain what resonance gathering is. Yeah, so it's it's um, a publication that's both a record and a book, and it kind of documents and extends this performance project that I organized along with the collective I'm a part of in Toronto called Public Recordings, and it was sort of. I guess it makes sense that you have trouble describing it because <laughs> it's very layered and even in the way we designed the object, we were thinking about that, like how many layers there are to this mm -hmm. thing. <laughs> um, but, but really it's a project that tries to um, 
document and sort of carry forward uh, this sort of long group process of looking at a piece of music by the composer Pauline Oliveros that happened in Toronto between 2017 and 2019. Um, it was a series of um, public rehearsals in different places in, around the city and workshops and um, <laughs> even a reading with Pauline's partner, Ione, and it concluded with a sort of dramatic performance at the city hall in the council chambers, the room where the politicians try to uh, figure things out. <laughs> it's a kind, um, kind way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So the record kind of like documents that project and also looks more in depth at the piece of, of Pauline's we were, we were, we were exploring and, um, and then also has some new kind of components that, um, people contributed uh, to sort of imagine moving forward. I guess I guess the thing that's interesting to me about it in terms of not being able to describe it is we always kind of talked about it as documenting a process mm. and that the project kind of was reckoning with like um, a record being a kind of ongoing process mm -hmm. each time you listen to it. So I like that you can't describe it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm always whenever I have a hard time describing things or or just kind of listening to something and, you know, my brain tries to figure something out and I can't. That excites me that I get really excited by being yeah. perplexed a little bit or just. <laughs> yeah, something in the brain opens. Yeah, it's I always. Yeah, I was when I hear a record that sort of just breaks my brain, I'm very excited. Um <laughs> I guess so. To, as a place to kind of start, tell I, I'm gonna. I'll start with like your interest in Pauline Oliveros's work and like where where that began and you know how. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I I went through music school in Toronto and I was studying improvisation and composition and you know I learned about her music in that context and mm -hmm. um, she was a composer that i always liked and was interested in i think one thing i really was drawn to her i was thinking about it the other day because i was talking to someone about this project and they asked a similar question and i was thinking part of what i think was exciting to me about her work was how it seemed like almost like I, some people use the word like interdisciplinary, but I was thinking she's almost like non-disciplinary. Like mm. she just takes her questions and moves them into different forms and mediums. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously like really committed to, to music and being a composer, but it's also like really not concerned with like the material limitations, like so mm -hmm. committed to just finding new situations and new ex, you know, new experiments and, I think that was what drew me to her originally. I was just like, wow, this is, yeah. this person has like such a commitment to that kind of experimentation. Um, but then I ended up going to Bard for grad school and she was living around there. And actually one good story I remember is that the year I arrived there, I think it was the first year, there's like a cicada that comes out every seven years, I oh. think. 
Yeah, I think I know what you're Do talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? about? Yeah. Is it seven or 17? I don't know. It's some, it's one of those. It's I know something absurd. Yes. I, yes. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I remember arriving and there were these cicadas that were just everywhere and they were like, they would like hit you in the face when you would try to like move from one building to another. Oh and it felt like kind of wild and, and they make, obviously they make this incredible sound right. and, um, her and, and her people in her community in Kingston were doing these like concerts. And I remember there was one like in the woods and he was playing with the cicadas. And, oh my gosh. And there was actually someone there. I was talking to Iona about it recently. There there was someone there who was like in a cicada costume, like a full oh body God. cicada costume. That's oh amazing. And she was like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. Like <laughs> he always dresses up. And I was like, oh, it's the best. So... I met wow. her there a few times. She would come to like some of the events at Bard and but um only wow. really got to like like I had dinner with her in Toronto, I think, once. Mm -hmm. And it was because my friend Anne Bourne, who's a musician in Toronto, who works or worked with Pauline quite a bit, um was playing a concert with her uh just before she passed away. So those were kind of my encounters with Pauline. Yeah. Wow. That I'm, I'm just like picturing this concert in the woods with all these cicadas and somebody in a full body costume. It's <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. Like moving around the perimeter. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that guy? <laughs> a once in a lifetime experience. It's good. Good um, image. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so when did the idea for sort of this project specifically like when when did that start or where did that come from and and what drew you to this piece yeah so the piece we're exploring is called uh to valerie solanus and marilyn monroe in recognition of their desperation and it's a piece she wrote in 1970 i believe mm -hmm. and um the project that we did it kind of started in 2016 around the time of that concert that Pauline was playing with Anne mm -hmm. and I was interested in, you know, it was 2016 and I was interested in how artists in previous moments of sort of, um, societal upheaval, um, respond <laughs> to those events. Mm -hmm. And so I was just looking into, I, I was looking at the 1968 moment and sort of shortly thereafter and, what people were doing and being interested in that sort of moment and how artists were responding to it. And it seemed to me that that piece of Pauline's was one where she kind of really sharply started to move away from a lot of the conventions and um, sort of uh, traditions that she was participating in. and not just not just artistically but you know i think she left academia like she had a job that she left it seemed like she made like a bunch of really kind of radical decisions in her life to start working in different ways and like valuing things differently and so i was interested in that particular piece because even though it the, the work she does after that sort of takes up that spirit i think in a more um in a more radical way um inside of this piece which is sort of in its score designed still like i think it was a commission for a 
for a student ensemble, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, um, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> and so it really felt like it, she was she was still using the form of like repertoire, concert mm. band repertoire or something to right. to kind of like, you know, bring people into a kind of embodied or like meditative type of work, um, but still using that form and and then later you see her kind of abandon even those traditions altogether. But it, it seemed like a piece where she really started to like explore some of those ideas. Right. So one of the things to, and, and we, we talked about this like really briefly in email, but I didn't want to say too much cause I wanted to leave it for this, but you talked about how, like one of the things that I am so intrigued by with this project, is you talk about how there's like these performances are, artists from various like fields and mediums mm -hmm. a lot of people performing on instruments that they maybe like weren't familiar with or mm -hmm. didn't play so which i think is incredible and awesome and like that just made me love the project even more but how <laughs> how, how did that sort of choice like could you tell me kind of a, talk about that make you know that choice and why you felt like that was important and how you know how that kind of happened right um so, well, originally, I, I, I guess I should say that originally the idea that I had with the project back in 2016 was to to work on it with Pauline. Mm -hmm. And so um, when when her and I own were in Toronto, I kind of like brought it up and I was like, I love this piece. Like, would you ever want to stage it in some way? And so it was sort of like I imagined it as a very like. Uh, much less involved project in a way just sure. sort of like let's stage this piece and bring you to toronto again like right you, you know i thought yes. it would kind of be a one-off um and they she she was like yeah of course in true pauline fashion i feel like she's just like down for anything <laughs> right. um and i think i applied for some funding i hadn't heard back and even before i heard back she passed away so the project kind of just went on ice because I was like, I don't know. Like, yeah. It wasn't really intended as like any kind of like legacy project or anything like that. So, but then the funding came through <laughs> and I was like, oh, and like, I, basically it took a year before I decided to move forward with it. And um, that's kind of where public recordings came in because public recordings is this collective that I work with and um, to get back to your question, the collective is, um, like a group of artists that work in different disciplines, um, dance and theater and music mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's sort of like a, an association of artists in Toronto that use this organization to try to support each other, to develop projects. And all the projects are kind of, um, in some way exploring, collective or like group oriented processes of different kinds um mm. and so it occurred to me that this piece of music was kind of dealing with those questions in a really particular way and of a particular history that it would be fun and interesting to work on with that group of people um and so that group of people generally are from different disciplines and i was like oh what if we even though most of them don't think of themselves as musicians or really even have practices of music what if we instead of like learning this piece of music to make a concert we instead treated 
the score or the piece of music as like a kind of space to gather in and have this ongoing process of learning and experimenting on the questions of the piece <laughs> through like a, a public rehearsal process. Yeah. And, and so, and so that's what we did. And, and then part of why I wanted to work with non-musicians was to like, not really think of like music making even as the central activity, but to really be like, this piece of music is sort of really clearly articulating some of her ideas about listening and mm -hmm. deep listening as she calls it. And, um, what would different kinds of artists or different kinds of thinkers have to say about that. And so we tried to devise like a, a process where like different kinds of people could take that question up and not necessarily right. like privilege, right. You know, having a relationship to an instrument also because the piece itself doesn't really require that. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And anyway. no, I, that, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's incredible. And I think that, that you know, really connects back to what, when you were talking about the, the idea like non-disciplinary like Pauline's work, you know, I, which I think is, I love right. that term. I really love that term. Um, and to me, there's like this really direct connection between that. And it feels very, to me, it feels like it kind of almost like radical. Cause I, 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 I'm a big proponent of like anybody can, you can, who, if you don't have to be a musician or like a trained musician to have, to use music and sound to explore ideas and have sort of conversations and explore your own world, you know? And so, yeah. I, and I feel like Pauline's like the whole thing about deep listening is that it, or not the, the whole thing. One thing <laughs> that about it is like, it's really not just about what you're hearing, you know, mm -hmm. it's about, it's like a, there are many layers to the pro process of listening. Um, that involve your, you know, your perception, your conscious and unconscious observation, your in, your embodied experience, like beyond just your ears. Right. <laughs> and so like working with dancers and working with other kinds of artists and like thinking about listening in that like expanded way was yeah. kind of the idea, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. And it, I mean, and just from, from a sound or music standpoint, I, I just think it's great to listen to. I think it sounds fantastic. So, Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> I'm glad because sometimes I'm like, I don't know if this is like that interesting to listen to on its own, but <laughs> yeah, yeah no, <laughs> there's so many layers, but right. Well, and I, you know, that's always, I, I think I, I talked about this in an episode. I don't even know where I talked about it, but I, like how there are, there is a lot of music that is really conceptually interesting. Just the concept. Mm -hmm. is so, but it may be a thing you listen to once or twice. Cause it's, you, it's just interesting, but it's not something you feel like oh, I'm going to return to this just to listen to it because it's mm -hmm. necessarily enjoyable to listen to. But for me, like this one kind of ticked both of those boxes. And so it, um, that's part of why I think I have a hard time getting my head around it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, Thank you. kind of on a different part of the project, the, mm -hmm. I, I really, I, I found like I owns piece that's on the ACE, the first side of the record, mm -hmm. um, is, great it's really wonderful and i was that always in like an intended part of the project or did that just how did that kind of happen <laughs> no that was so that was sort of something like when we decided to put together this publication mm. that was a new part and i think like 
so we we brought Ion to Toronto for some of the process, and that mm-hmm. we she is an author and a director and sound right. artist, and we she did a solo event as part of the project, um, but I don't know. I guess I was thinking about what it what it means to make to sort of because in a way it's like a re-release or something, you know? Like yeah. it's like a what does it mean to put out a recording of this thing that's from another time? And I don't know, I started thinking about records as always kind of having a kind of time travel like quality Mm -hmm. and that's sort of part of their beauty and appeal is like, it's a document of something that happened, you know, whether it's like a composition that was created in a studio or it's like, live recording it's still like a kind of documentation of some sort of process and then right and then listening to it is like an event in itself and those were kind of the things i was thinking about and so i was wondering how to how to like invite people into that and in in the end i thought oh we should basically just commission i own to make a kind of at, at first i asked her to make a kind of like guided meditation that mm. would sort of bring people into mm-hmm. listening in a particular way. Um, and yeah, and then through our conversation, we kind of just came up with this really simple form, which was like a line of text for every year between um, 1970 and 2021 when she made the piece. And so it's a lot of her work is about dreams and sort of listening within your unconscious um, experience Um, and so in a way I think it's kind of like it's partly time travel and it's partly sort of like this dream where she so Mm. slowly moves through time from you know back from when the piece of Pauline's was made till now and it's sort of intended to kind of like bring you into a different presence and begin this process of looking at something that like crosses a lot of different time. And Mm -hmm. so that was sort of where it came from as kind of like an invitation to time travel or something. (laughs) No, that's great. Yeah. That's really great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, To listen out of time, as we said in the book. (laughs) Oh yeah. I like that. That's good. Um, (laughs) What was, what was kind of the most challenging aspect of this whole thing? Like, and like, and how, what were the logistics like doing the performance in, in... Oh my gosh, that was, that's actually like a, an intense story. Like oh man. Could... doing the, doing the rehearsals. So we rehearsed in different schools mostly. Um, and that was great. Like people were very up for hosting those events mm-hmm. and engaging with people in different ways um and the first part of the project happened in a museum and it was sort of after that that we decided doing it more in public spaces would sort of bring out some of the ideas in her piece more i mean i guess maybe it's useful to say like her piece is it's like a text score that invites a group of people to kind of collectively uh orchestrate this piece of music with like very limited um, materials that she gives you. I think each, each performer is asked to select five sounds in advance 
and then the the score is sort of conducted by the changing colors of light in the room so there's someone who's supposed to change the color of light and as the color of light changes you um play your different sounds and then there are instructions for how you blend with the other sounds you're hearing mm -hmm. so it's this kind of constant process of like bringing forward what you've decided in advance and trying to um you know attend to its meeting with other sounds right. <laughs> that other people are doing um and it's even more complex than that because there are sort of subgroups and you have like people that you're part of like sections of the group with oh, wow. and there are hand signals that can be given that sort of create this sort of real-time organizing <laughs> reorganizing of the sound so it's really like an experiment in like being a group with right. sound <laughs> and then and there's like all these kinds of democratic or you know collective sort of methodologies that i feel like are implied in it and mm -hmm. so in thinking about that we were like where would presenting this sort of make those things be most right. like vibrate the most <laughs> And that's why we thought, oh, we should do it in City Hall. And also I liked that idea because City Hall in Toronto, at least uh, the council chambers is this space that allegedly like anyone can just book to have a meeting and you're not allowed to charge money to enter this space. So <laughs> it would be a free event and we wouldn't be charged money to book it. And this seemed like an interesting space yeah. to try the piece in. And wow. <laughs> All of that sounds great, but in the in the end, um, the bureaucracy of City Hall was very intense, and there was just one administrative person there who, for one reason or another, just didn't trust us and thought we were kind of up to no good or something. <laughs> and someone in the group was saying, like, oh, well, when you do something unusual, like, you know, it, people expect that people will feel uncomfortable and that they might act sort of right. strangely. Mm -hmm. And then event eventually this person sort of revealed the person who like was basically giving us access to the space sort of revealed to me that she basically didn't want it to happen. And <laughs> she sent us a bill that like two days before the event for $5,000 for like staffing that she had not mentioned before. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we were like, what <laughs> and we did know someone who worked at city hall so we called them and they looked at it and they were like oh she's she's not actually required to do that but she she's doing it anyways and i think what she's doing is she's banking that you can't pay it and that the event she's just trying to cancel the event right. like using the bureaucracy oh my gosh <laughs> and they were like if you can pay the bill and then after we'll get the money back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And so we just went and paid the bill. And this person was very surprised. I could tell she was like very surprised that we were paying the bill. Uh -huh. And it was for staff to move the chairs that were in the space. Even though we told her we didn't want to move the chairs, we didn't want to change anything about the space. <laughs> um, and so when we arrived on the day, uh, we... We sort of we kind of tested her and we were like, actually, yeah, we do want to move the chairs. Like, can you get the staff to come to move them? And she was like, I'll I'll move them. 
And we were like, no, no, we'd really like the staff to come and move them. <laughs> and it became clear that there were, there was, was no, no staff. <laughs> oh my gosh. And anyways, yeah. stupid story, but just an example of like right. bureaucracy. And I feel like it was very fitting that that yep. was sort of the main struggle of the project given her yeah. piece. Like no the, kidding. The apparatus of organizing like a space like city hall is like in one way a proposal for a solution to be together and also a problem about like it also presents many problems right <laughs> and that's kind of what her score is yeah. to me so i was kind of like this is perfect yeah it's yeah it's kind of nicely anyway, sorry, poetic no, it's very long-winded but no. <laughs> <laughs> bureaucracy um, story and I guess to kind of wrap up, what one of the things he says, um, you're donating half the proceeds to the Native Women's Resource Center of Toronto. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about it, the organization? Yeah, so they're an organization in Toronto that does a lot of on the ground work for Native women in in Toronto, and basically, I mean, so her piece, Pauline's piece, at the time, uh was really like you know i think in, informed by a lot of experiences she was having uh around the women's movement and um in fact it was around that time that she started the it's called the women's ensemble or like the mm -hmm. symbol for women and i think one of the kind of crunchy things about doing this project is the like the whiteness of those names in the mm -hmm in the title and um it's something that we kind of like reckoned with as we were mm -hmm. doing it um but at the same time um you know another a, a big part i mean as in many places but a big thing that's happening in toronto right now is uh like a housing crisis mm -hmm. so this organization is like very helpful for people who are experiencing uh homelessness and um and also you know it's the the reconciliation process as it's sometimes referred to in in canada um between the the nation of canada and the indigenous peoples that were here before um is one of the most important kind of political uh, processes that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like if we were releasing this record that was, uh, you know, involved with a piece of music that tries to look at music right. in relationship to political movements, that it should try to contribute to that, yeah. that process. And, yeah. Yeah, no, that's um. Well, Oklahoma is. Yeah, I won't yes. get into all that. <laughs> that's like a whole other huge conversation. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's there's a lot of. Anyway, that's great. So yeah, thanks for talking about it, and I hope that everybody should buy it. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you can also um read about it and yeah that's something too yeah for sure <laughs> um <laughs> if people feel able to buy it that's great <laughs> yeah, yeah.
I understand. <laughs> Thank you so much for um, being interested in it. Yeah, absolutely. Take it easy. Once again, thanks to Christopher Willis. I did want to mention, it's funny, the uh, and it shows how small the world of experimental music and sound is. Uh, like I said, so Christopher wasn't on my radar until recently. And then as we were talking in the process of like doing the interview and stuff, it turns out he went to Bard at the same time as my longtime friend and collaborator, Nathan Young. And so... It's, you know, of course, and that, it, it, I think they were there for maybe two of the same years. I can't remember. But anyway, that was really cool. And I was, you know, it, it's how this is how this all works. Anyway, check out Resonance Gathering. It is out now. Um, if, if you've got the ability, I highly recommend picking up the vinyl. It's just such a beautiful object and the and the book is wonderful i love the book and i, I loved kind of thumbing through the book as i've been playing the record and stuff but you can you know you can listen to parts of it on the band camp and all that and just yeah thanks again for listening you know where to find me Follow me on social media would love if you join the patreon patreon.com slash foxy it's how keep the site going supports the cause and there's lots of fun extra stuff over there you get these episodes a week early um and there's some new stuff that well you'll hear about if you go over there but otherwise once again thanks for listening talk to you soon mm-hmm.